because the taxes again don't go away they're they're following you as you go through you know even if you do multiple exchanges on the other hand it can be indefinite you can exchange and exchange and exchange um, and as long as you don't sell as long as you continue to hold for investment or if it's associated with your your business you, you just keep going hello and welcome to pillars of wealth creation where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota. And they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer. With me, I'm excited to have another fantastic guest. We've got Joe Vici with First American Exchange. Joe, how are you doing today? Great. Glad to be here. Thanks, Todd. Well, thanks for joining me. So, uh, Joe, I'm going to let you kind of give a background, but uh, you are with First American Exchange. You're specializing in 1031 exchanges uh, with your company. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit about your background, maybe life prior to that, and sure. then what you guys focus on uh, with your company? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Um, so I've been in sales for a long time. Um, I spent about 14 years in the employee benefits business doing benefits you get at work, uh, anything but medical. So life, disability, dental, all those things you get at work through insurance brokers. Uh, in 2016, I made a change and I ended up with a large commercial uh, title company in town here uh, for about a year and a half, and again, in the sales role. And then I was approached by First American Exchange to come over and, and handle their 1031 exchange sales development area uh, for the Midwest region, and I've been there since uh, spring of 2018. So it's been a really positive move for me, and and glad to be there. So give our listeners uh, kind of like a, maybe like a 101 on uh, the 1031 exchange. Why would they want to consider what? First of all, what is it even, and then yeah. why they would want to consider it? Yeah, in exchange, I mean, there's there's a few reasons why people are considering 1031 exchanges, but the biggest one is they're able to defer taxes. So. Uh, again, an exchange allows people to exchange real estate for other like kind real estate and defer taxes. And, and when we say taxes, we mean state capital gains, federal capital gains, and then as well as depreciation recapture tax. And I think that's one that isn't really at the top of people's radar sometimes, the depreciation recapture. Um, I have some discussions with folks that, that say, well, you know, I think it's just 15% federal and I'm, I might just pay the tax. Yeah. And, and maybe that's the best solution sometimes, but I think our role or my role is to try and help them get information and then make a decision based on all of the information out there. So that exchange allows them to defer those taxes if they reinvest the proceeds into another uh, property for investment or held associated with their, uh, held with their business. So it's not for personal residences. It's not for house flippers. Generally, it's not a good fit that way, but held for investment or associated with their trader business. 
Yeah. And I think that's really important, but you know, a lot of people think, Oh, I'm going to pay the the long-term capital gains, you know, it's 15%, whatever it's 18%. But, you know, recently I, I looked at selling a property and I was going to pay about four, just over 40% of the profit was going to go towards the government paying, you know, state income tax. Cause you get to, you don't get to do, there's no long-term, at least in Minnesota, there's no long-term capital gains, um, you know, treatment, it's ordinary income. Um, right. At least in my case it was. And then you have to pay the federal government and then you have to pay, like you said, the depreciation recapture and it all added up that I'm going, man, I'm going to give away almost 50% of my profit on this property. I ultimately decided just to keep the property. Uh, but the other option would be of course, to do the 1031 exchange where you can then kind of kick the can down the road, right? Cause you're not, you're not a 1031 exchange. You're not erasing tax liabilities. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. The taxes don't go away, but you're deferring them. Exactly. And, and you're right. A lot of people do, do think, well, I'll just, um, I'll pay the tax and then they get a closer look. And, and that 40 number is not all that uncommon. People think, and that's a shocker to folks, right? They're, they're thinking maybe 15, 20 and all of a sudden it comes up at 37 and now they want to learn more about these 1031s and how they might be an option for them. So we, we have those discussions quite, uh, quite regularly. Well, you're in a good state for 1031s because Minnesota likes to tax their, uh, <laughs> their, their income, uh, plenty high. So they do in most States, you know, uh, 41 States have, have, uh, um, capital gains tax. So the vast majority of deals, are going to have not only federal, but, but then state Some capital sort of state. as well, plus the depreciation. Okay. Good to know. Um, now you, you mentioned the flips. Uh, <clears throat> what happens if I, I buy this property? I, everybody always says, Oh, you got to hold it for a, a, a year and a day. I hear that uh, quite a bit for 1031 exchanges. Is there, first of all, is there a magic number of, of months of days of years that I should hold a property before I can consider a 1031 exchange? There's not a magic number. Unfortunately, the IRS did, did not put that magic number into the, into the 1031 code. So you're, you're right. A lot of tax advisors say a year and a day is a, a reasonable amount of time to hold the property because it'll end up on two tax returns. Other tax advisors will tell people two years even, more conservatively, hold it for two years. But the IRS will look at two things. They'll look at the time held and then they'll also look at uh, what was your intent? Was your intent to hold it for investment or is it part of your business or was your intent to you know, buy it, fix it up and quickly sell that property? So both those things are important when you're considering uh, a 1031 exchange. So I, I hear this uh, a lot and quite frankly, I think I know the answer to it, but um, a flipper has a property, right? They, they go through the renovation, they don't sell it and it sits there and they wait and they wait and they wait. Maybe they even put some Airbnb tenants in there. Uh, maybe they even through the winter have a, a tenant in there for a couple months. Um, but they finally sell this property. They want a 1031. Is that a good candidate for a 1031? It's really gray area there. That, that's a gray area because um, getting back to intent, it, it sounds like in the, that scenario, their intent was really to sell it. And because they couldn't, then maybe they sort of half rented it for a while until they could sell it. 
So definitely something to talk with their tax advisor about, but, but that one's probably pushing the limit a bit on, on 1031 exchange, just on the rules and regulations. Yeah. And my accountant, cause I was doing a lot of flips and my accountant specifically said, no, don't even think about it. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. That's the, I, definitely the safe way to do, do it. I mean, we tell people, talk to your tax advisor. I mean, we, we want to do your exchange, right? That's what we do at, at first American exchange, but you want to be careful. You want to, you want to play by the rules because you don't want, you know, two years to go by and then you get audited and now you're down the road and you spent the money. And mm-hmm. now they say, you know what, that exchange you did two years ago, that's not valid. And, and now you need all the taxes and penalties and it can be a real, a real problem. So you definitely want to be careful and, and play by the rules. Yeah, that, there you go. I mean, there's a reason because you go, oh, you know, well, maybe I get caught or whatever, to, you know, play. I can beg for forgiveness later. I hear people say that a lot. Mm-hmm. But as you said, you've already, you've already exchanged that money into something else. Yeah. And now right. you've got to come up with that tax liability, potentially some nice penalties as well uh, and interest that the government wants to collect from you too. So somehow you got to come up with the extra money. And if you've already spent it on a new property, well, you know, they still want their money. They're not, yeah. not going to yeah, say, oh, it's okay. Really important. <laughs> it's, you know, I, you, you just have to be careful. People, uh, ask me questions and and it's funny because I do a lot of CE classes and they'll try and convince me that they should do a 1031 exchange and I'm telling them hey I want to do your exchange but you don't have to convince me if I'm the IRS guy or gal that's who you have to convince are you have are you comfortable having the same discussion if I'm the IRS versus telling me no it's really held for investment so that's yeah. that's how people need to think about it I think one well, one of the things on the flipping uh, case too is I think you really have to look at who you are um, and what you're typically doing. So if you're, if that's kind of what you do is you you flip houses, you've done that transactional business and you're not a long-term landlord, it's going to be hard to prove <laughs> that you were, right. your yeah. intention was to hold this long-term when that's not what you do. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think they could look at your track record and say, so you've, You've bought and, and renovated and sold, you know, 15 houses. But now the 16th one, you're telling us, no, this was really, this one individually was going to be held for investment. That can be a tough, that, that's probably a tough discussion to have. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so 1031, we're, we're buying that property. Um, we decide to sell it. We're kicking the can down the road. Is there any way we can avoid taxes all together when we finally want to sell or do we always have to pay the tax no matter what? Yeah, it doesn't go away. It's, it's kind of a, the old 1031 joke. It's not all that funny, but you know, there's two ways you don't have to pay the taxes. One of them is 1031 exchanges. The other one you're not going to like as much. Um, you know, the, the other way is to leave the property or leave the real estate to your, to your heirs. And then they get a stepped up basis. So that means uh, you get to die. The property, but you're not around, right? That's not the, uh, you know, you don't get to see the, the joy on their face when they inherit those properties at a stepped up basis. But that, that would really be the only other way um, to do it you, because the taxes, again, don't go away. They're, they're following you as you go through, you know, even if you do multiple exchanges. On the other hand, it can be indefinite. You can exchange and exchange and exchange. Um, and as long as you don't sell, as long as you continue to hold for investment or if it's associated with your, your business, you, you just keep going. 
Yeah. So it's either you keep going, well, and, and in that case, it would be till you die, um, right? right? Once you finally pass, then no longer is it taxed. Um, I think one of the biggest advantages, in, in my opinion, and, and maybe you can add more to it, is that you get to utilize that entire profit to then leverage up to a larger property and then utilize that entire profit to then leverage up to another property. And when you think about the power of, of real estate and the leveraging and, and all that, you've got just a bigger kind of egg to work with versus if you pay the taxes, if you go, well, I got to pay the taxes anyway. Why don't I just pay it now? You know, we know exactly what we're paying now. Maybe down in the future, we're getting taxed at 50%. You know? Right. But we know right now that if we can work with $100,000, our $100,000 down payment is, you know, maybe a $500,000 building versus if we got to pay the taxes now, now we can maybe only buy a $250,000 or $300,000 building. Um, so yeah, I think I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, we, we talk about that often is just that increased purchasing power. If you're not, if you're not sending, you know, 25 or 30 or in your case, 40% of your gain to the government, you have more money. So when you are looking to purchase your replacement property, you can buy a larger property or a, or a bigger property, um, you know, a nicer property property. So yeah, it's definitely leveraging that money and, and you put it to use versus sending it away to the, to the government. Any other kind of advantages or reasons why you would consider doing it? Um, I think the one that sneaks up on people is the depreciation recapture. I, I think where people get in their head is the, you know, I know I'm aware of capital gains. I'm not quite sure how my um, my state does it, but more of federal. But but then when they get the real numbers, if they know if they've owned a property, you know, for five Especially, or ten or or yeah. even fifteen years, that number can be significant. And that's when people look at it and say, well, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know it was going to be like this. So then, mm -hmm. then they start looking a little more closely. I would say that would be the, you know, one of the biggest advantages. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, think about if you've depreciated the asset completely down. I mean, it's, that could be some massive gains if you bought, especially if you bought it right and you're selling it right. I mean, yeah, yeah, man, exactly. You, you could be paying a pretty hefty bill there. Um, so let's talk about the kind of the, the inner workings then of the 1031 exchanges. Cause there's a, it's, you're dealing with the government yeah. so, or government regulations. So it's probably not super cut and dry. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of gray area in 1031 exchanges there. Some of the rules and regulations are, are, you know, pretty fixed in black and white, but there's a lot of gray area. And you definitely should be consulting with your tax advisor or legal advisor as you go through this process. Um, you know, some of the basic rules, you have to exchange for like kind property. Like kind is basically real estate for real estate. Some people think, well, if I sell a, if I sell a duplex, I have to buy a duplex. And that's not, that's not the case. You can sell a duplex and buy a, a strip mall and you could sell a strip mall and buy an apartment building or sell an apartment building and buy an office. That's all that all works. That's considered like kind. So that's, that's one of the income, income producing real estate. Yeah. Income producing real estate. You, you could, you can buy land as well. I was just so going to ask you that. Okay. There, you know, there's a potential tax issue. If you're moving from a depreciable asset to land, which is not depreciable, definitely want to consider that and visit with your tax advisor on that. But, but you can do that. That is considered like kind generally. 
Um, the other rules that we get into, you know, there's some strict timing requirements around the exchange. You have 45 days to identify your replacement property. You have 180 days total to close on your replacement property. And the important thing to know about those dates is there's no wiggle room. They're, they're calendar days, they count them all, and, and they're very strict. So sometimes people, um, hey, can I get an extension on those somehow, or I'm not finding something. People really need to probably be looking prior to selling what they're, they're gonna do, you know, selling their property in the exchange, uh, because that 45 days can go quickly and there's no extension periods. Um, so they, they need, it goes fast and, and they just need to be aware of those, those timing requirements. Um, so what, what happens if I came, if I said, hey, I'm going to do this 1031 exchange and I don't meet one of the deadlines, what, then what happens? You have a failed exchange. So you pay, you pay the taxes. No penalties, just pay the taxes. You just pay the tax, right? Okay. So, okay. Yep. And, and any legal consulting fees or in whatever. Yes. You know, some people, depending on what they're doing and what people are trying to do, some people um, set up an exchange. I mean, exchanges generally aren't, aren't really expensive to, to set up. And some people set them up and sell and, and have the qualified intermediary hold those proceeds as they look to find, can I find that property that I'm looking for? And it's, it is sometimes worth the flexibility to get another 45 days to find something and potentially defer a lot of taxes it's not the end of the world that people say, you know what, I, I tried and I couldn't identify anything. I couldn't really find what I was after. Um, and in that case, you know, they get, they get their money back, less our fee, and they pay the taxes and, and move along. Um, so why, like, you do this business. Why are you important or, or somebody like you? Why is, why is that important to have someone like you? a part of this transaction and why can't I just do, Hey, I'm going to 1031 exchange it. I know I can't touch the money. Maybe I have my uncle do it, you know, have the money or whatever, send it to a friend or. Uh, why yeah. Can't, you know, you, you do have to use a, a qualified intermediary. Um, surprisingly, there's very little regulation on, on qualified intermediaries. Uh, a lot of people can be a qualified intermediary, but they do identify, or, or the government does tell us who cannot be, and it can't be a disqualified person. And they uh, define that as any relative of the taxpayer or anyone who's acted on the taxpayer's behalf in the two years prior to the exchange. Mm -hmm. So generally, that, that means they're um, the taxpayer's lender, their real estate agent, their CPA, their attorney, people like that. They want a disinterested party to, to do this. Uh, and you do indeed have to uh, engage with a qualified intermediary. If you, if you hold the funds or if you have constructive receipt of the funds at all, it's too late to do a 1031 exchange. So once in a while, we'll have someone call and say, hey, I just uh, sold and I just closed. And uh, this 1031 sounds great. I, I think this is a really good fit for what I'm trying to do. And if it's not set up prior to their closing, they're too late. So that, that's really one that, that people should remember. It seems pretty basic, but I do have people come up to me when I do classes and they ask me about, um, you know, I, I sold and, and then I, I thought I could do it immediately after that, but you need to have it, your exchange set up prior to closing on your relinquished property. If you don't do that, you can't do an exchange. So you, you want to make sure that the title company you're working with is well aware of what's going on that yes. you're involved uh, the qualified intermediary is already involved 
all that set up prior to signing on the, the documents saying. Yeah, I mean, there's usually cooperation language that people put in the purchase agreement. I mean, we're really there to be a resource for people to help them through this process. A lot of our discussions start with, hey, I'm not even sure if this is a good fit for a 1031 exchange, mm -hmm. but I'd like to tell you what I'm trying to do. And then we can ask them some questions and uh, you know, tell them to work with their tax advisor, but walk them through the guidelines and say, yeah, from what you've told me, this might be a good, a good fit for what you're trying to do. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. What if I what if I find a property I really like and I go, man, I want to buy this property. I don't have the cash, or maybe I even do have the cash. I just want to buy this property. Um, but I'd like to then sell another property in, in 1031. Is there any possible way to buy a property first? Then yeah, there is. So yeah, a reverse exchange is, um, they're getting more popular and they're popular, like in our market, like in the twin city market, the market's hot, right? So if people find a property that they really like and they think that's, that's what I'm after, that's really what I'm looking for. There is a way to structure it, an exchange where uh, the QI, the Qualified Intermediary, we actually form an entity. We form an exchange accommodation title holder. It's an LLC. And we're going to go into title on that replacement property. Now we're going to go into title. It's, it's not our money. It, it's the taxpayer's money. They're going to have to get a loan or make a loan to this EAT. We're going we're gonna to go into title on that. And then it works in reverse. So they have 45 days to identify what they want to sell and then 180 days total to close on what they're selling. And then the, the exchange is unwound and the taxpayer ends up with the replacement property they wanted in the first place. So there is a way to structure that. It's more complex, uh, it, it costs more, but it can still be a really effective solution depending upon what, you know, what they're trying to do. We do see them when people are saying, well, that 45 days is so short, it, it goes so quickly. Um, the, you know, you don't have to worry about that if you do a reverse exchange because you're just, you're out there looking, you find something uh, and, and you can move on it. On the other hand, you want to be pretty confident that you can sell what you're going to sell. Otherwise, you're going to end up with both of them at the, at you know, day 181. Well, yeah. And for the money you think you can sell it for, I probably right. more important because you can sell anything just for right. how much. <laughs> right. 
So yeah, that's probably one of the, the challenges in the reverse is you, you've got to come up with the money, right? Yeah. Because your the money that you have may be tied up in the in the property that you're you're going to sell, but you haven't sold it yet. So you're gonna either need the cash or you need to go get financing to purchase the replacement property first, and then you'll get the money later when you sell your your relinquished property. Have you guys have you seen um, that type of transaction happen? Have, oh, you, yeah. have you been involved in that? Oh yeah, yeah, we so, do. Uh, we do um, probably six or seven of those a month through our office. So oh, they're, wow. They're, okay. they're not, you know, they're not every transaction. They're typically on a little bit larger deals Yeah. Uh, because, you know, there's, there's more requirements. The, the costs get up. Uh, they cost more than a standard deferred exchange. Um, but, but it can still be a, a really good solution depending on what they're trying to do. And again, it, it just gets down to math. What, what's the numbers? What are they trying to, defer on taxes and then does it make sense to spend that money to to get a property they really like um and, and do a reverse exchange so if i'm going to do this reverse exchange and i identify a property maybe a million two million dollar property whatever five million whatever it is um since so because of how we're setting it up um are you seeing lenders involved still where they'll they will lend say you know, 70, whatever, 80%, whatever. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, th that's one of the discussions we have early on is if there's a lender involved, we need to, to be involved and have a discussion with them early because yeah. there's some non-recourse language because we're going to be on title that, that yeah. needs to go into the loan docs. And they're essentially underwriting the taxpayer, but we're going to go on the title. So some lenders look at you know, the taxpayer like they're from the moon a little bit. But there's some lenders that are, are comfortable with it, then they understand the process. Okay. And, uh, but, but that's definitely something to get your lender involved early and have those discussions so they're comfortable with what it looks like and how that process works. But yeah, th there can definitely be a lender involved. Yeah. And so then the rest of the money would come from um, the, the, the buyer um, ultimately. Correct. Right. Yep. Um, what, you know, so I, I, I got this 1031 I'm, I'm going to do and I identify, I'm identifying my properties, but I'm really having a tough time identifying enough properties. Is there any way, what, like, how can I find these properties? Obviously we know realtors and stuff, but if I can't identify properties, are there, is there any other solutions? Uh, a, a couple potential things. One, I'll put in a plug for our platform. We have a platform called InvestEagle. Uh, if you go investeagle.com, the platform is really designed to be a matchmaker between uh, people, investment property listings, and then our 1031 exchange clients as well. So it can be a good place to look for replacement properties. The other one that we see um, people investigate, and again, this is definitely one to talk with your tax advisor on, but people... Uh, do go into what they call a Delaware statutory trust or a DST. And it's for the right situation where people, maybe they don't want to buy real estate or be actively involved in owning real estate anymore, but they don't want to pay taxes. So they're looking that they have your question. Is, is there another option out there? And a DST allows someone it's like kind for 1031 exchange, but it allows them to invest in real estate passively and still defer, you know, the state federal capital gains plus the depreciation recapture. They're a financial security. They're offered through financial advisors. 
We don't sell them, um, but I work with some people who are very well versed in those. And, and they can be an option for some folks, um, depending on what their goals are, what they're trying to do. Generally, those are for accredited investors as well. So not everyone is going to qualify to be able to do that. But it is one more option out there that, that's not super well known, but I think they're getting more popular. You might not be able to directly answer this question, but I get a lot of uh, investors that ask me this. I, you know, I do multifamily syndications and they say, hey, can I sell something in 1031 exchange into your multifamily syndication? What's your answer to something like that? Well, it depends how you being the syndicator, how, how you setting up that entity, right? Are you, how are you setting it up? Usually, I mean, generally speaking, it, it's not a good fit. Um, because one of the rules on 1031 is how you sell is how you have to buy. So if Joe VC sells, Joe VC really has to buy. And I can't buy a, you know, a 2% interest in, in Todd Dexheimer LLC because a, a partnership interest is specifically excluded uh, from, from being like kind. Now, if you, win, if you set it up as a tenant in common where you have, you know, 20 people investing and everyone owns an undivided interest, potentially that would be a way you could do it. Although then you have other issues as the syndicator because you right. need unanimous decisions and things like that. So uh, it can be challenging when people, whenever people say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to sell individually and I want to go into this development. Um, is there a way to do it? Yes. Is it challenging? Yeah. Really, really challenging at times. Yeah, it can, it can be done. Uh, and I do know that, but yeah, like you said, it, it can be challenging. Um, it's definitely a little more expensive to typically set them up than a regular syndication would be. And obviously you want to know the limitations to it because a tick attendance in common is definitely different than your traditional syndication model setup where you just have an LLC and people are buying the shares of the LLC. There's right. As you said, for me, as the as the lead, that creates a kind of a whole different, um, a whole different set of problems because no longer are you truly the lead on a tick. Right, you're you're one of twenty, really. I mean, yeah. that, that that's the challenge. So so to answer the question, really, they need they should talk to the syndicator and say, how are you setting this up? Yeah. And, it, and if I'm going to ten thirty one, is it a possibility that I take these funds and invest with you? if I was selling something to go into your syndication, that, that would be the place to start. Which is kind of where the, the DST comes in and why some of these companies I think are favoring the DST over the tick is because in the DST, you can re maintain uh, control as far as what I understand. Well, I don't know that it would be considered as control um, because you, you can't, I mean, and again, I, I'm not a DST expert, but you, you can't cash out you're really a, a passive investor. You don't have really say in that property, um, but you don't have unanimous, you know, you don't need 20 out of 20 to agree on something. Right. So right. DSTs are, you know, the money's not liquid. You don't have yeah. a lot of control, but it's a passive way. It's probably for the person who. Oh, sorry. I, I, meant, I, meant the lead. I meant more like the lead, um, you know, that's the sponsor team has a little more control in a DST where they can, oh. as far as I understand, make more decisions and uh, decide kind of what's going on with the property. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Cool. Um, well, Joe, you, you've given a ton of good information. What, anything else that people should know about 1031s? Um, 
basics. Yeah, a couple, more a couple things. That I, I think there's like um, one big misconception that that we deal with a lot, and and it has to do with having a fully deferred exchange. So fully deferred meaning we want to defer state and federal capital gains, and we want to defer the depreciation recapture. And I have this discussion uh, definitely weekly, and sometimes even more often than that. But to do that, you have to do two things. One is you have to buy at or above the level you sell at. So if you sell a, a real estate for $500,000, your replacement property needs to be $500,000 or above to do fully deferred. The other thing that has to happen is you have to take all the proceeds from the sale, put it into the exchange, and then reinvest those proceeds into the replacement property. And, and the misconception is that people think, well, I'm selling for 500,000, but my gain, my, my gain on this deal was 200. So I only need to invest the 200,000. And there's a lot of people that that is how they understand this. And that is not correct. So that that's one big misconception out there. Um, if you sell for 500 and you want fully deferred, you have to buy at or above $500,000 and then take all the proceeds you get and reinvest it into the replacement property. That That's one thing. Uh, and then the other thing I think is just important to do your due diligence on on qualified intermediaries. You, you know, there's there's not a lot of regulation. In fact, there's there's no federal regulation really on qualified intermediaries on how they invest the funds. So you want to make sure who you're dealing with. It can be a lot of money. You want to make sure people are experienced at this, uh, that they're um, separating the the funds out. That you know, you open up a segregated bank account for the taxpayer with their tax ID number and their name, because um, I always talk about this in the in the CE classes I do. But there was an episode on American Greed where the the QI took the money, and it was just the you know the worst possible scenario. So you just want to do due due diligence on who you're dealing with. Make sure you're dealing with a reputable company that is that's going to be there and offer financial security and and expertise in this field. Awesome. Um, uh, is there any regulation on if I got a loan on it? Do, does the loan amount need to be the same or anything like that? There's no regulation on the loan amount. Um, when we talked about fully deferred, about buying at or above and then reinvesting all the, all the proceeds into the replacement property, the third part of that is that you have to replace the value of the, of the debt but if you do the first two things, that third thing will take care of itself because you'll need the money. You, you either need to go get a loan and bring that to closing or you can bring cash money to close. So if you do the, you know, buy at or above and take all the proceeds from the sale and invest it into the replacement property, that replacing debt part takes care of itself. Gotcha. So gotcha. That some people think I have to get a loan and you don't technically have to get a loan, but you need to have the money. It can come cash out of pocket. That, that still works. Okay. Okay. What happens if, um, uh, you know, identify three properties and like you said, pick up, I sold my property for 500,000. Maybe I made 200,000. Uh, somehow I don't hit those markers, but I do buy some properties, but maybe, maybe I only bought $400,000 property. The other sale fell through. Um, yeah, people uh, tra trade down and, and that would be considered boot. So if you, you know, you sold for 500 and you ended up buying a replacement property for 400, that still can work for, you know, you can do a partial exchange, but the taxpayer will pay taxes then on that $100,000 trade down amount. 
the, the same thing would apply. Sometimes people want to take money out of the deal. They say I'm selling for 500, but I need to take, you know, $40,000 cash out of the deal. Mm -hmm. They can certainly do that. They should do it at the, at the closing table prior to those funds coming into the 1031 exchange, but they can take it out at the closing table, just knowing that that would be considered taxable boot and they'll be taxed on that in that example, 40 grand, they take out of the deal. They're taxed on just the 40 K. They're not taxed on the 200 K of profit. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Awesome. Um, anything else? Do you want no, to that'll do it? I think, I think we gave a, a good, um, you know, some good information enough to be dangerous and, and yeah. uh, let us know if, if we can help. We're there to be a resource. Yeah, well, so speaking of that, Joe, what, how can our listeners get in touch with, with you and kind of maybe learn more and have that conversation when the time is there? Yeah, anytime. My, my cell phone is probably the best way to get me, 612-413-8073. Or you can certainly shoot me an email. It's J, and my last name is V like Victor, E-S-E-Y at firstam.com. Awesome. Awesome, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for the time and a ton of value you were able to add. Thanks so much. Thanks, Todd. Thanks. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday. <laughs>